Why don't you just raise your hand up high and just hold it there until one of the fellows get that, get that to you. You know, we, uh, we, we make some bold statements uh, from somewhere in, in this vicinity uh, just about every Sunday. And, uh, and I recognize that in the culture that we live in, that some of the things that we say are not, uh, not politically correct, as the, the new terminology goes. Uh, some of the things we talk about are, are hard, and people these days don't want to go to church and hear about that kind of stuff. And, and that's, that's really... Uh, what I want to just uh, talk about right here at the at the beginning, you know, it, it, some of the things that we we talk about in this church, we we talk about a lot. I, I remind you guys a lot about the fact that we are we're Laodiceans. Uh, for you folks who are guests with us, just uh, to pull you into that terminology so you can hang with us the rest of the morning. What a Laodicean is is a descriptive word for those of us that are living in the last period of church history before the Lord Jesus Christ comes to receive what he calls his bride. And we get this from Revelation chapter 3, because in Revelation 2 and 3, our Lord writes seven letters to seven churches that really existed way back when, about 90, 95 A.D., somewhere in that vicinity. But as you place those letters into the context of the whole of the book of Revelation, what you begin to see is that those are representative of seven periods of church history and again we are living in the last the final the seventh of those periods of church history outlined for us in the letter to the Laodiceans so when I say Laodicean I'm referring to those of us who profess to know Jesus Christ and have found ourselves as a part of his bride in his church in, in these last days and because we are Laodiceans I'm constantly reminding you of some things and you probably think that I, I forget that I, I told you some of those things about Laodiceans sometime because we repeat them so often. And I just want you to know that one of the reasons that I repeat those things so often is for me. Because I'm just telling you, I forget sometimes. And you know what? I, I'm just telling you, I lose my way. Sometimes I've got to be reminded of the same truth that I talk about every single week in this place. Somebody handed me a, a, a catalog this week, and it's called uh, Ministry Marketing Tools for the New Millennium, How to Market Yourself. And you know what? Hey, I, I want to do everything that we can possibly do to reach our culture, don't you? I, I want to stay relevant. And, and I, I'm just telling you, I got a little bit a little bit beat up this week because what they've got on here is they've got this old dilapidated church on the outside of this brochure and it says ready for something new and then on the inside it says you'll find it at and plug your church name in here you'll find it at first baptist okay check this out and this is what the the, the copy goes on to say if this is your idea of church, that's that old dilapidated thing on the outside. If this is your idea of church, then you haven't been to, plug your church name in here, you haven't been to First Baptist. Many people have already discovered how fresh and how different church can be. 
we are building the kind of church you've been looking for. Relevant, refreshing, accepting, and dare we say, fun. So are you ready for something new? Join us and see just how much church has changed. And you know what? I got to tell you, man, I read that and I think to myself, I'd like for church to be fun. I'd, I'd like for it to be refreshing. You know what I'm saying? Am I that big of a wimp? I mean, if you were to get that, would you go, yeah, yeah, our church used to be like that. They're, they're not much like that anymore. Here's another one, and it's got this, this prisoner in the black and white suit, and he's got the ball and chain on his foot. And it says, is this your idea of church? <laughs> your mama. Okay. And then it, you, you open the inside, and it says, you're not alone. You won't feel like you've been sentenced to prison when you visit plug your church name in here. <laughs> we are a church for people who have given up on the traditional church, but not on God. You'll find energetic music, exciting dramas, great kids and teen programs, and real life messages. So get rid of that ball and chain and come see how much church has changed. And, you know, I... I Frank, Joe, Bob, can you guys relate to this? I mean, you know, you, you, you want to you wanna be able to put that kind of stuff out and say that that's, that's, that's who we are, but that's, that's not who we are, is it, y'all? I can't remember the last time this was fun. And, and you see, I, I, I read that stuff, and, and I think to myself, yeah, do we have to always be so strong? You know what, I, I'll just tell you. I, I, I leave here a lot of Sunday mornings going, am I trying to play the Holy Spirit by saying these things? Is this my little trip? And then I, I go back to, I had you turn to Revelation 3. Hold, hold your place there and just turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is not something new. Look at what he says in, in uh, look at verse 1. Paul writing to this young man, Timothy, says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort and have a great, refreshing, fun time. You know what? I mean, ugh, it just isn't in there, is it? Preach the word, and that means reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to them. Oh, yeah. 
That's the way this thing is supposed to be. And let me take you now over to Revelation 3 and what uh, the button that I've been trying to push for the last, well, since the new year began. Look at verse 19. Writing to that church in the Laodicean church period, Jesus says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And what we've resigned ourselves to is that that's what this time for us Laodiceans is supposed to be. Because the Lord Jesus Christ loves us, this is to be a time where we, we are rebuked. And we are chastened. And, and I, want, I want every time that we possibly can to give a word of encouragement. And yet, by the same token, we cannot lie to ourselves. Right? I, I mean, if, so, if one of the ushers comes up to me right now and hands me a note and, and tells me that, uh, that there's a small little fire that has just started in your home, okay, I, I can do several things with that, right? I, I can think to myself, oh, you know, that's really going to be upsetting to to you if I call your name and say you know there's a there's a little fire right now maybe if you got home you might be able to get some of the, the things w before it's too late but if if after the service I, I come up to you and say now you know what I didn't want to upset you during the service but uh, there was a little fire I got word of it but I didn't want to upset you in the service but just got word your house is totally burnt down to the ground I'm sure that you guys are going to say, well, thank you so much for not upsetting me in the midst of that service. I, I appreciate that because that would have given me time to do something about it and, you know, far be it to want to do something about it. And, and that's, that's what we're talking about in Laodicea. We're, we're trying to, to find out about this stuff that's true of us while there's time to do something about it. And, you know, the, the reason that you can... You can even think the reason that most pastors can be nice and can keep church fun is, folks, listen, they've changed the name of the things that the Bible calls sin to protect, I don't know what, their attendance, the offering, the job security. I, 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 don't, I don't fully understand just why it is we would change the name of all of this stuff, but folks, listen. You can call it whatever you want. It isn't going to change what God says that it is. You know, the, the sweethearts that are living out of wedlock are really fornicators. The, the foul-mouthed teenager is biblically a railer. The single with an alternative lifestyle, any way you slice it, is a sodomite. The, the married man or woman working through their sexual problems are really adulterers. The, the, the so-called normal thoughts men have toward women are really, biblically, wicked imaginations, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, and lasciviousness. I didn't invent those words, y'all. That's what the book says about all of this. And, and listen, I'm not going through all of those hardcore names so that I can condemn you if you're guilty of one of those things or make you feel bad. But do you understand what goes with that? You see, in Laodicea, we, we've done such a slick job of renaming all of this stuff that man, quite honestly, doesn't have sins anymore. What he has is he has problems. In 2 Timothy 4, in verse 1, says this, now the Spirit speaketh expressly 
that in the latter times some men will depart from the faith, listen, giving heed to seducing spirits. And one of those seducing spirits that is running rampant in Laodicea is the fact that we are being seduced into thinking that we have problems instead of sins. And you see, the reason that problems are more convenient than sins is that if you, if you have problems, you really don't have to do anything about it. Because you see, if you have a problem, then you can get sympathy for it. You can get understanding for it. You, you, can, you can get professional help for your, your problem. But you see, if it's a sin, y'all, you've got to confess it. If it's a sin, you've got to repent of it. If it's a sin, then you've got to forsake it. And so you see, that's what's going on in Laodicea. The big name change game so that we don't have to take ownership of sin we can just come to church and have fun and act like everything is just hunky-dory when the fact is, it ain't. And what we talked about last week was not a whole lot of fun. We, we've been looking at the 144,000. We've been looking at the evidence of the fact that they are identified with the Lord Jesus Christ and His Father. And you can turn to Revelation 14 now. And we've seen, first of all, that there's visible evidence through their seal and their submission. We've been trying to learn from those things, looking at what the New Testament says about our seal and what is to be characteristic of our submission. And the, the, the cold, hard facts are this. If you are identified with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, if you are identif identified with His Father, there will be visible evidence of that in your life just like there is in the 144,000. And also there will be audible evidence of your connection with the Lamb and His Father. Just like there is with the Lamb, uh, with the 144,000, so there is with those of us in, in the church age. And that's evidence through our song and our speech. And then last week we, we talked about this, this third thing. There is moral evidence of their relation to the Lamb and His Father. This is the 144,000. And again, we're trying to, as Laodiceans, learn some lessons from this, this group of people. And look at what it says in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And we just began to look at the things that are surrounding this 144,000 in the arena of their morality. And, and rather than just jumping into the outline, and there is an outline that's alliterated that goes right along with all the rest of it. I, to be quite honest with you, I just didn't feel like we were ready to jump into that outline. And a lot of you, you know what I'm talking about because God faced us last week on some areas in Laodicea where we're guilty of deceiving ourselves. We deceive ourselves many times in this whole arena of uh, sexual sin. And last time we looked at Laodicea and deception number one. And here is the deception that a lot of people live under in Laodicea, that someone who is truly born again can live in sexual 
sin. And what we did is we went to three simple little passages to see what the Word of God has to say about that. And what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5, what it says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 21, what it says is that if you live in fornication, uncleanness, and adultery, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Three times God says the same exact thing. If your life is characterized by these things, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And you know what? That is, that is foreign teaching to Laodiceans because Laodiceans have prayed a prayer somewhere along the way. They've done something that they've connected with salvation that has never really affected their life and they can continue to live in sexual sin of all sins and claim to be born again. And, and again, three times God says the same thing. I, I want to clarify if you're a guest with us. That doesn't mean that if somebody truly is a believer in Jesus Christ and they were to commit one of those sins, that they would lose their salvation. That is not what it is teaching. What it is saying is those that truly know Jesus Christ as their Savior would not live in those kind of sins. And again, that's, that's foreign to Laodicea. And we talked about the fact that the Laodicean landscape is just absolutely littered with the carcasses of lives and ministries that have been ruined by sexual sin. I mean, they're everywhere. I, I, I read some things to you last week to just talk about it. It's, it, it's an epidemic. And, and we went on to the next Laodicean deception, and that is that I'm morally pure because I don't commit the act of sexual sin. And what we did is we went back to Matthew chapter 5, and what we saw is that the Pharisees had externalized God's law. And what they were actually teaching, what they really believed, is as long as you didn't commit the act of something, you were okay. And what Jesus came along and did in his very first sermon is he came along and he internalized the whole thing. What he did is he brought God's standard back to the key issue as far as God was concerned and what really had been the key issue all along, and that was the issue of the heart. And as Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 begins to talk about this thing of sexual sin, the, the Pharisees thought they were okay because they had never committed the act of adultery. And Jesus comes along, and what he says is, if you've lusted upon a woman, I'm telling you, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, no, you may not have committed the act with your body, but he says you're guilty of the act in your heart because of the desires for those things that are in your heart. And a lot of Laodiceans have never committed the act of adultery or, or fornication. But if you could see what was in, in their heart, boy, would they like to. And it's because, again, it's a heart issue. And you see, though we can't see in each other's hearts, Jesus can. And Jesus does. And, and when he looks and he sees that there, listen, what he says in Matthew 5 is that the sinfulness and, and the awfulness of that thing to him is just as if we committed 
the act. And we talked last week about the fact that really, to Jesus, the only real difference in the thing is simply the consequences. There are more consequences that come with carrying out the act but as far as the awfulness and the horrendousness and the sinfulness of that thing to Jesus, it's the same. But the desire is what we were talking about last week. The desire for that whole arena of things in, 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 in the sexual realm is, is where we spent most of our time last week. And I, I, I want to make sure that we all have, have something straight here. Because this is something that Laodiceans don't have they don't understand it I, I want to make sure that we all understand that nobody falls into sexual sin now I know that's the terminology that we give it in Laodicea but I'm telling you that's right from the pit that whole concept of oh, well you know he fell into sexual sin you know what you fall off of a ladder y'all you, you fall into a, a, a ditch. You see, it, the deal is, when you use the term fall, it, it makes it sound like you're the victim in, in the thing. It, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're walking down the street, and bless your heart, you, you just trip. Or you're walking down the street, and somebody, you know, tripped you. And, well, bless my little heart, I just fell into sexual sin. It, it, again, it sounds like it just came out of, out of nowhere and there was nothing that this poor victim could do to prevent it. And, and what I want you to understand is that people who commit fornication and adultery are people who simply played out with their bodies what they had been playing over in their minds for days and weeks and months and years, and listen, sometimes even decades. You know, based on the, the thoughts that some of the people in this room entertain every week, the only thing that separates you from the act is for the right set of circumstances to present themselves to you, and you're a goner. Because it's been being played over and over and over in your mind and some of you are deceiving yourself through this whole thing because you're like Daniel bless your heart and you purposed in your heart and, and you know what I mean I, I believe we could go through the rows here this morning and we could talk about people in this room who have purposed in their heart that they would not commit sexual sin and you believe that with all of your heart and I, I know that you believe that But some of you are just this far away from doing what you purposed in your heart not to do because you know what you did? You purposed in your heart the wrong thing. You purposed in your heart that you would not commit sexual sin. What you needed to commit to was purposing in your heart that you would not think about sexual sin. And I'm telling you, there's a major difference. I mean, you know, there, there's two way to, ways to respond to this, this dangerous ledge where, where people are, are dropping, you know, 500 feet to their death. There, there's two ways to deal with that. One of the ways is you can, 
You can get an ambulance and paramedics to wait down below. Or the other way is you can, you can build a wall up there at the top. Build a rail. And you see what some of you are doing is you're, you're planning on paramedics and all this down at the bottom rather than dealing with the real issue. The issue is the heart. The issue is the mind. The issue are the thoughts that, that you have. Job said in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? You see, he had come to the place to where he had made a, a, a moral decision about his eyes and about his thoughts. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Proverbs 6.25 says, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. That's where you deal with this issue. And listen to, you know this, but listen to it again. James 1.14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed then when sin hath or when lust hath conceived it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death and for a lot of folks in Laodicea the lust for sexual sin is there and all it's taken is just the right set of circumstances again, or the wrong ones in this case, to present themselves before lust will conceive and sin will be brought forth and sin, when it is finished, will bring forth death. And I'm trying to get you to see this thing of the thoughts, the things that we allow in our minds. And guys, listen, when it comes to sexual sin, you know what? The devil is so patient you know what he really doesn't care if it takes you five years or ten years or fifteen or twenty or twenty five or thirty it really doesn't matter to him as long as he can get you in that arena in fact you know what the longer you go really the more devastating it is because the more people you probably had some sort of influence along the way the more people thought you were really a believer in Jesus Christ, who thought you were surrendered to Jesus Christ. You know, I, I've been saved for 28 years now. I've been one of the pastors of this church for 16 and a half years. And you know what? So far, no problem. You know what? Just takes one, right? To wipe it all out. The whole deal. I'm telling you, he's patient. And if we don't come to grips with this thing of what goes on in that secret, sinful world in Laodicea, guys, we're going to be in, in some major, major trouble. And for those of you that don't think that this is, this is for you, and maybe you can't find any application to all of this stuff, would you just listen to Proverbs 16, verse 18? Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a, a, a fall. And I'm telling you, what kind of pride must there be in the life of someone who can look into the Scripture and see that Lot and Samson and David, the man after God's own heart, and Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, 
and the Corinthians and all kinds of leaders in, in Christianity in modern times, and all of them fell to this thing and, and plummeted their lives into this thing. But the pride of thinking, but not me. I'm above that. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. And, and I've I got to tell you guys, I have debated on, on this. Uh, I got several anonymous letters this week. Uh, a lot of times don't even don't even take the time to read them because a lot of time they just freak me out and so you know let's don't start a barrage of of this but but I think that uh, it may be and, and you know what last paragraph just so that you don't have to work through this as we're going through if this would help anyone or would make this twistedness a reality in anyone please share it okay so don't think that I'm you know share every anonymous letter that comes uh, but I want, you to, I want you to listen, guys. Pastor Mark, you, you spoke to me on Sunday morning. And I certainly hope that was the Lord. I, I've been warped from a young age as to what is considered normal as far as sexuality. It started with pornography and then at an early age, experimentation with that knowledge. I've been involved in things that I don't even care to mention. Now I'm married. I have children. Some of these patterns have continued. My spouse has no idea what I do when I'm up late at night. It's so accessible. Cable TV, videos delivered to my home, and of course, the Internet. I've convinced myself that it affects no one but me. However, I struggle having a normal, intimate relationship with my spouse because I've so warped myself with the bizarre. My spouse wonders why I'm not in the mood more often. The answer... I'm involved in twice as much sexual activity, only my spouse is not included. Let's get something straight. I've never been involved in physical adultery. I've never so much as flirted with anyone. I'm too respectable for that. But the things that my eyes see, the things my ears hear, and the things that my mind thinks pale in comparison to an actual physical adulterous relationship. I struggle looking... Uh, at people without my mind running wild. Yes, this even occurs in and during church. What an abomination. I truly believe I'm saved. I've seen fruit leading others to Christ, missions trips, and personal growth. However, I've seen much fruit spoil because I was tending to the weeds during the harvest. I'm respected in the church. I've been in positions of leadership. I've discipled several people and am well-known and well-liked. On the outside, I'm everything a typical Christian would want to appear. On the inside, I'm warped with sexual desire. My greatest wish is that I could warn every youth and single in the church not to venture down this avenue of lust because it is like a drug. The more you get, the more you want things that others find repulsive and sickening, and I do in the public eye, you find not only mundane, but almost boring. Oh, what I would give to find wholesomeness in the intimacy that God created for man and woman. Not mix and match of men and women, but man and woman. 
Pastor, I want you to know that the candidness that you talked about last Sunday is not in vain. I needed that confrontation, and I'm sure others did too. However, they were probably not in these shoes, an absolute pervert. Please continue to tell the church of the delicate balance between the moral and immoral that we walk daily. It takes so little to top all that Christ has restored. In these last days, the twistedness of our society has absolutely penetrated the church, and in this case, our church. Although you will never know who I am, I want to apologize to you. I want to apologize to our church. I have made such a mockery to the demons above who absolutely delight in my sick folly. I would love to explain and apologize to my spouse for unanswered questions. I told the absolute and entire truth to this point, but I've left out one small point. I'm a woman. Yes, I'm a wife and a mother. I'm a daughter and a friend. I'm a discipler, and I'm sitting in our church every Sunday. No one is exempt from the perversion of the world. If possible, I'd love to share this story with the church because I want them to know that this type of contamination doesn't just happen to men. It doesn't just happen in the big cities. It happens here. It has happened here. They only knew how close they are to it. Thank you again for your reprimand. It didn't go to deaf ears. It went to a sinner who was tired at church because of the activities and the wee hours of the night. If this would help anyone or make this twistedness a reality to anyone, please share it. Please issue the warning that we are all susceptible to our sexual desires being perverted and contorted to those things that God never intended. Your sister in Christ, a covenant member. what I'm talking about, y'all. And, and you know what? I, I think... I, I, I think if, if someone were to ask you, do you think that goes on? I, you know what? I think we probably would think that those kind of things happen. But boy, that sure brings it all to a, a reality, doesn't it? You know, I, 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 I wish that we could connect you with some woman that could help you out of this because there is, there is hope and there are other people in this room that were just as perverted and God has done the miraculous. I, I will tell you, it's not easy, but I will tell you, God has the power to do that. But as much of a jolt as that is to us, I'm, I'm still not real sure we're ready to just work our way into the outline and, and have me do my little alliteration and have our little sermon on the 144,000. I still think that there's maybe some other things that we need to talk about concerning this, this sinful, secret lives of 
people who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ in, in Laodicea. And, and the first thing that I, I, I want to show you this morning is the fact that the Bible assumes, this is on your study sheet, that the Bible assumes God's delivering power from sexual sin through salvation. And what I want you to see here is, yeah, hey, I know we're living in a, a Corinthian culture. I know that we're living in this Laodicean age. I know there's all kind of stuff out there. But what I want you to see is that the Bible assumes that God's power in salvation was powerful enough to deliver all of us out of that sin. And, and I want you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to need to cruise. You're going to get all your Bible reading in today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We, we, we've looked at the beginning of this... Uh, last week verse 9 know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God be not deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate and blah 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 he goes through all of those things uh, none of them look at the end of verse 10 shall inherit the kingdom of God watch it verse 11 and such were past tense such were some of you but and this is this is so incredible y'all because we could say the same thing about this group, man. Hey, that, that list of things there in verses 9 and 10, that was us. Amen? But, verse 11, that was us, but ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. You're set apart from sin and unto God. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And what he's trying to say is, yeah, I know that this is the culture that you were in. I know that this is all the stuff that you were guilty of. But that was then. This is now. Now you're washed. Now you're sanctified by God. Now He's justified you. So don't continue in it now. And this, He's so strong about this. Look at what He's already said back in chapter 5. Look at verse 9. He says, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators now what they did is they had they had taken this all out of context he wrote to him and said now listen anybody that's involved in fornication don't have anything to do with them and so what paul was meaning by that is he was meaning people who claim to be saved but what the corinthians were hearing is anybody out there in the world and you know what what he's trying to get them to see Hey, if you're going to do that, baby, you're going to have to leave the planet. That's what he says. Watch this. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with the dollars, for then must ye needs go out of the world, because the world's full of them, is what he's saying. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. Now, I'm just telling you guys, in all things that the Scripture has said about how we are to love one another and minister to one another and all of that, listen, if Jesus didn't think that the power of salvation would bring you out of fornication, he would never write that to us. But what he tells us as a church, y'all, if there's somebody in this number who is a fornicator, don't fellowship with them. Is that what it says? 
It's exactly what it says, y'all. Don't have any company. And, and notice the way that he says this. If any man that is called a brother. Because the fact is, y'all, somebody that's living like that, chances are real good that's as deep as it goes. They're just called a brother. They may not be one. But what he's saying, for the testimony of Christ's sake, if this guy identifies himself with the people of that fellowship and he lives in fornication, what he says is, don't, don't fellowship with that person. And turn back to Romans chapter 6. And what I want you to just continue to see here as we work through this point is that everything that the Bible would tell us is that God assumed that salvation was going to be the delivering power that we needed to help us in this arena of our life. Look at what he says in chapter 6 and verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, guys, let's all get it through our Laodicea and head that sexual sin and those types of thoughts do not have to have dominion over us. Amen? Verse 15, What then shall we sin, because we are not under law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked, watch this now, that ye, what's the next word? You were the servants of sin, but... Ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Do you see that? That was then you used to be a servant of unrighteousness. And there was nothing you could really do about it because of your lost condition, but he said, Somebody brought the true doctrine of Christ to you and gave you the book, man. The power of God came into you and loosed you from the, the bondage of that sin. You no longer go back and live in that thing anymore. And again, the Bible assumes that salvation was that delivering power to release us from the bondage of sexual sin. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened or brought to life who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past, that's before you were quickened, before you were born again, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. There's that spirit that works in them but you've been born again, so that spirit isn't still at work in you, is it? Among whom also, check it out, we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. There it is, those thoughts again. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, y'all, 
But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are He saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And do you see what this is all about? This is who you were before. Yeah, and the Bible admits it. We all were a bunch of sick-minded people. And we all had these, these lusts that were going on in our mind and, and sometimes being fulfilled through our bodies. And what he's saying is, but that was before. Because God came in and God did something unbelievable through his mercy. He saved you out of that. He brought that dead spirit where the spirit of disobedience was at, alive and working in you. And he moved in where that spirit of disobedience was. And here the Holy Spirit of God moved into that place. And go over to chapter 3 and watch what he says. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And you go to chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, that's all you Gentiles that used to be separated from God and didn't have a covenant, and now by His grace, He saved you. He says, now listen, I'm in prison for preaching all this stuff, but now as the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And drop down to verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk. Now he told us, how he, he wanted us to walk worthy. Now he's back on that point. This I say therefore, verse 17, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk. Watch it now. In the vanity of their mind. Some of the people in this room are still living in the vanity of your mind. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Watch what he says. But ye have not so learned Christ. You didn't get this from this book, did you? You didn't get that from the Spirit of Christ in you, did you? If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see, that's the answer. The renewing of that computer, the renewing of your mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Guys, that's the call of God. That's the way that we are to walk as children of God, born again by the Spirit of God. Over and over, He keeps trying to get us to see the power of God that saved us, gave us the power to overcome this in our acts and in our mind, and I realize that the vast majority of the people in this room are people who are not living out those acts, though some of you are. But I'm afraid it would scare us to death if we found out how many live with these deceitful lusts, with vanity of mind, 
all of these things playing over and over and over again. And God just keeps saying, salvation gave you the power to be able to deal with that thing. I won't, for time's sake, I won't take you to Colossians chapter 3. Let's move to the next point. For believers to continue in sexual sin, whether it be in thought or deed, there's three things I want to show you. First of all, it implies that Satan's power is more powerful than God's. And this is the tragedy of it all, y'all. And I want you to turn to, to Acts chapter 26. In Acts 26, Paul's given his testimony here. He's before Agrippa, and he's telling them, he's telling him what God had done in calling him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And watch what he says in verse 18. To open their eyes. Now, now listen, guys. We were blind. We could not see. We, we, we were blind in, in our mind. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it, it says the God of this world, Satan, had blinded the minds of them that believe not. And Paul says, God called me out on the road to Damascus to open their eyes and to turn them. And check that out. Turn them from darkness to light. Watch this in the same flow there. Turn them from the power of Satan unto God. Listen. In our lost condition, when the God of this world had blinded us, you know what had happened, y'all? We were held captive at His will. He held us within His grasp. He held us in His power. And Paul says what he did is he called me out and saved me and he put that book in my hand so that I could go and I could turn all of those people that are being held by the power of Satan to give them the message of that book so that they could be turned to the power of God. And listen, I'm telling you, y'all, and this is the way we're going to have to start looking at this thing. If we're ever going to be anything other than lay out a scene and, and just say, yeah, I do have a problem with lust, stop calling it a bloody problem. Call it sin. And we need to come to the place to where we take ownership in this thing, to where we understand that when we continue to live, whether it be in thought or in deed, when we continue to live in sin, what we're implying by that is the power of Satan is greater than the power of God because God's power in salvation could not release the grip that Satan had in my thoughts and in my body. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that just puts it in, into a whole arena to where I say, you know what, 
I'll be doggone. If I'm going to let that sucker get a grip in my life in that arena. Go over to Ephesians chapter 3. I wish you were here last Sunday night. Some of you, most of you were. I wish you would have been here to hear an incredible message. You ought to get the tape if you weren't here. That Pastor Frank preached about the glory of God and what God had done in calling us out in this dispensation. God calling us out and saving us and what we become in that unseen world in the face of the enemy. And, and, and look at what it says in verse 9. <clears throat> oh, verse 8. Unto me who am less than the least of the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see... What is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden, God, who created all things by Jesus Christ? Watch this now. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I don't have time to go into it. Let me just make it as simple as I can possibly make it. What this is saying is the reason that God saved us is because we now, through the life change that has taken place in our life, we deliver a message to the principalities and powers, those fallen angels, the, the, the demons that are, are in the earth's atmosphere. We, those of us who are children of God, we preach a message to them of what God can do in saving out dirty, stinking, rotten stuff like us. And after we're saved, for us to go back and live like we used to live, oh, don't you know the message that that is to the principalities and powers about the power of God. The Bible says in Revelation 12:10, the accuser of our brothers, brethren, Satan, stands at the throne of God right now. Day and night, day and night, accusing those that claim to be believers in Jesus Christ in the face of God. And I just want to ask you, what is being said about you from our enemy and God's enemy in God's face relative to this area of sexual sin in our life by those of us that claim to be born again children of God. For us not to deal with this, guys, implies Satan's power is more powerful than God's. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to hear that? Satan up there in God's face and calling your name? And saying, now, you, you are the one that's got all the power, right? And wasn't that salvation thing, wasn't it supposed to be delivering them from my grasp so that they didn't do all those dirty, nasty things that they're thinking about doing down there? Isn't that the power that, that you say you got? Next. It ineffectualizes... The prayer of Jesus on our behalf. In other words, it makes it of none effect. In other words, when Jesus prayed for it, it didn't work. And I want you to turn to John 17.
Jesus is about to go to the cross and prays for His disciples. And look at what He says in verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given Me, for they are Thine, and all mine are Thine, and Thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to Thee. Holy Father, keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given Me, that they may be one as we are, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not, listen, that thou shouldest take them out of the world. You see, that's, that's the deliverance that, oh, I just wish the rapture would come so I could just get released from this. Salvation was the release. Not the rapture. Salvation. Where am I? They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, watch this, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Do you see what he's saying? I'm not praying for you to take them out of the world because salvation... Is going to release them from the bondage. I'm just praying that they never let the world get back into them. So, Father, would you sanctify them? The reason that I have been sanctified is so that they might be sanctified through the truth. And you got to love verse 20, y'all. Sitting here, 1900 and whatever, 70 years removed from the event. Check this out. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. You know who that is, y'all? That's us. The reason we know Jesus Christ this morning is because those disciples there were faithful to carry out the message because they wrote it down in a book that we called the truth. And you know, you know what verse 20 means? Jesus prayed for me. And Jesus prayed for every single one of you that named the name of Jesus Christ. He prayed to His Father that we would be set apart from this world and that once we got saved, the world would never find its way back into our thinking or into our bodies or into our lifestyle. And when we as born-again sons and daughters of God live like the world and think like the world, you know what we're saying? Jesus better do some checking on his prayer life because it didn't work. (coughs) 
But not only that, for believers to continue in sexual sin, whether it be in thought or in deed, identifies us with the most despicable people in the entire Word of God. Ah, number one, it identifies us with unsaved Gentiles. You know what? Rather than keep you here past what your mind or any other part of your anatomy can endure, we probably ought to just we probably ought to just call it quits right here. Next week is communion. And, uh, and maybe this is where we'll, we'll pick up. Now, n- n- l- let, me just, let me just tell you a little pattern I've seen. How many does this church run? Do you know? What is the attendance? N- n- nobody knows. The attendance is never the issue around here, okay? It's not the issue. But I will tell you this. I have noticed about the last two years when we have communion, attendance isn't, isn't real good. It scares me. Real convenient day. You stay gone. You know why? It's real holy service, isn't it? Y'all dying on me. I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta face reality when it comes to that because he says if you you partake of it unworthily, you're gonna croak. The good news is you might get just real sick. So, you know, now we're all we're all sitting in a place in our life where we're having to face an area that we lay out of scenes don't want anybody poking around on, do we? Because we were feeling pretty good about our Christian life until what else are they going to talk about down there? Now they're talking about this down there. And guys, we're going to have to face reality on this thing. This is, this is an absolute slap in the face of the one who saved us. For us to continue to accommodate this type of behavior, this type of thinking, these type of desires. And, and, and oh my goodness, I, I've, I, have, I have really labored this week on just asking myself, am I too hard? Is, is, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And guys, I'm just telling you, before God, I think this is what He wants me to be talking to you about. And talking to me about, lest anybody think that I, because I'm delivering the message, think that I'm, you know, inescapable from all this trash. And, and, and I don't. But guys... I don't want us to to deceive ourselves because we have a growing church and we take missions trips because as we've already seen 
you can do everything that we're asking you to do around here and everybody think you're wonderful and godly. And be perverted. And, and guys, we just, we just got to let God help us. So that that is not who we are. You know what? It, every once in a while, it, on this Laodicea thing, it's almost like I get this, this little glimpse of, yeah, this is probably the thing that blinds us Laodiceans so bad because we didn't have time to get there. But what Second Peter talks about in chapter 2, verses 7 and 9, is that Lot vexed his righteous soul through the things that he saw and the things that he heard day after day after day. And I just wonder if maybe the reason we're not so blind and poor and miserable and wretched is because of the things that we hear and the things that we see, even when there's nothing in front of our eyes but what our mind has conceived. If there's not a vexing that is taking place inside of us so that we can fool ourselves into thinking we're one place when Jesus says we're in the exact opposite place. So guys, now, now listen. Don't, don't get scared. Don't stay away because we're pressing this button right now. You need release. And the reason we're punching this so hard is so that we can all get to the place to where we, we finally come to grips with the fact I've got to deal with this thing. I cannot continue to go on. And I do think that communion is coming at just the right time, don't you? And so, guys, I'm, uh, I'm asking you, for God's sake, be here for communion next Sunday. And let's bow our heads right now. thinking the same thoughts week after week and having the same guilt heaped on you week after week over the same thing and never dealing with it. Maybe, maybe it's because you've never taken ownership of the thing to call it what God calls it. Wicked imaginations, lasciviousness, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which God says is idolatry. You know what? That's all it's all related to this whole arena of everything that we've been talking about in that whole sexual realm. God likens that desire to idolatry. Not likens it, he says it is idolatry and some of us would never bow to anything else. We tell ourselves we die for Jesus before we do that and yet there's the God 
of sex that continues to be lifted up in our imaginations. And when we'll call it what it is, maybe then we'll confess it for what it is, we'll repent, and we'll forsake it. And believers, why don't you talk to God right now? Would you try to stay focused and, and talk to your Lord about what He talked to you about? And I just want to say to you folks who, <coughs> who are here this morning that have never received Jesus Christ, listen, we were all in the same boat. We were all dead in trespasses and sins. And God still loved us, but because He's God and because He's holy, He couldn't accept us as sinners. So He came to this planet Himself and lived a sinless life so that He could die on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty so that He could receive us once again. But in order for God to receive you, you must receive the gift that He offered through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. By calling upon His name as your only hope for salvation or for forgiveness of sin, simply coming and saying, I know I'm a sinner. I know there's nothing I can do. I can't be moral enough. I can't do enough good works. I can't be religious enough. I can't do anything. I'm desperately crying out to you as God to remove my sin. And listen, when you will come to God on those terms, the Bible says that He will receive you. He will hear you. He will move into your dead spirit and bring it to life and wash you, as we talked about today, with the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin and He will sanctify you. He'll set you apart from this world and unto Himself. And we'd love to share Christ with you today and how that miracle can take place in your life. Our pastors will be up on either side of the front of this room as we're dismissed. And maybe you don't know them. Maybe you do. doesn't matter. Would you humble yourself today and just come to one of these men and say, listen, I, I want to know more about this thing of being born again. or I want to know more about this thing of, of, of knowing God and God forgiving me. J just come and they, they'll help you. They'll, they'll have someone that'll take the Bible and, and take you to a, a private counseling room where somebody can share with you today how Christ can change your life. And we would welcome that opportunity. Now, Lord, would you please save the lost, convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And Lord, thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all sin when we'll confess our sin. Thank you for those today that have confessed and have forsaken the sin that you've convicted us about this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.